When I was um, 11 or 12, my mom and dad bought me a present. I, I don't know if it was my birthday or Christmas, but it was an LP. Like it was a 33 RPM LP. It's a, a record before eight tracks, before cassettes, before downloads, right? It was just physical. So you actually got the album with the, the artwork on it and all that. Anyway, it was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I think I wore two or three needles out on my record player. That was what we had before all the other things, right? Um, I, I could sing every song, I learned to play every song, and that whole musical just was sort of enlivened, or enlivened for me. So, um, by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, phenomenal musical, and it's all about Joseph. And you know then, of course, we're going to talk about Joseph today as the other character that we light on when we think about this particular trait or type um, as we go through the, the various types on the Enneagram. So let me just read you the way that someone begins to explain this one. And of all of the types, this one is the most noticeable. This one is probably the most identifiable. Um, we call it the need to be special. And that, that's a little bit pejorative, and we're going to try to torque that so it's not such a negative sort of a feeling as though we're just wanting to be special. Um, that, that, that doesn't work so well. Here, here's what this author says. Fours put their gifts to work to awaken a sense of beauty and harmony in their surroundings. They're highly sensitive and almost always artistically gifted. They can express their feelings as dance, music, painting, the theater, or literature. Everything with vital energy attracts them. They grasp the moods and feelings of other people and the atmosphere of places and events with seismographic precision. I like the way that is put as we think about the need to be special. Joseph, um, again, just a wonderful story. And I was just mentioning to John how however we view the Bible and how the, the Bible was, was um, kind of pieced together, the stories of the Old Testament are so, so masterfully woven into the whole narrative. Um, that they alone argue for how special this book is and how, how much authority this book has in our lives. And so when we, when we go to the story of Joseph, um, it is full, it is just chocked full of lessons for us. Um, it, it would be a great story to examine the dynamics within a family because there were some weird dynamics in Joseph's family. Um, if we wanted to learn about sibling relationships, Story of Joseph, be a good place to go. If we wanted to learn about resentments, go and see what happened to Joseph. If we want to see a story that actually turns out well, when you think, how could this ever turn out well? The story of Joseph. So, so let me remind you, and this will be familiar, I'm sure, to all of us, but it's, it's going to culminate in, in one little verse that pretty much summarizes the whole story of Joseph, and the, uh, the, the editor makes sure um, that he records something that Joseph says, 
that really explains his understanding of his whole life. So here's Joseph, and he is special. He is, in fact, his father's favorite. Lesson number one about family dynamics. Don't play favorites. Don't make it so obvious that one of your children is favored um, beyond the others. So how did, how did uh, Joseph's father do that? Well, he made him a special coat. I mean, a special coat. A multicolored coat. And that's where the dream coat idea comes from. And Joseph, when he was a lad of probably 17, um, came home one day and his, his brothers were, were all shepherds. Um, and he, all that the Bible tells us is that Joseph came home to his father with a bad report about his brothers. So I don't know what that was. Was he squealing on them? Um, was he being more responsible than they were? What was it? Um, we're left to sort of imagine what kind of a bad report it was that Joseph brought home. But it was, it was kind of the icing on the cake because Joseph's brothers resented him. They resented him big time. Um, they began to call him the dreamer. Um, here comes the dreamer. We'll, we'll see in a moment. And in the context of this dysfunctional family where the father dotes on one of the sons above the others, um, Joseph kind of plays into that. He, he loves this coat. You know, I can see him showing up and saying to his brothers, look at the coat that dad gave me. And if you are this type of person, that will normally not be um, sort of a show of extravagance. It's just kind of like, look at this. Look at the colors in this. Look at this. Um, enjoy this with me. Um, but in back of that were the brothers who were saying, dad never gave me a special coat or anything. Joseph brings a bad report to his dad about his brothers. Um, Joseph is is a little um, foolish in the in the way that he plays out of his personality. So he is a dreamer, and he he goes ahead and tells his brothers the dreams that he has. And the one dream that he has um, is a dream about a farm and. Um, sheaves of, of wheat and so on. And, and, and he, he, he says that he had this dream that, that there were um, all the others bowing down to one piece of wheat or sheep. He then says that he saw the sun and the moon and the stars, and they were all bowing down as well. To, and Joseph is beginning to own this dream for himself, and his brothers are just getting more and more tired of what Joseph is like. The second dream that he talks about, he actually goes to his mom and dad and says the same thing. And his father says, what are you, what are you doing? Do you think your mother and I are also going to bow down before you? Come on, stop this nonsense. About 50 miles away from home was the place that his brothers were taking care of their sheep. And um, the father sends Joseph to see how they're doing. And he makes the journey, and when he gets there, the brothers see him coming, and they literally say, oh, here comes that dreamer. And they are so moved in malice towards him that they have murderous thoughts. They say, let's kill him. 
I mean, I mean that is sibling rivalry. You may say, I'm going to kill my brother, but you don't really mean it, maybe. They said, let's kill him. Um, Reuben, the oldest one, said, no, 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 come on, guys. He's our brother. We're not going to kill him. Um, he, he, he said, if, if you want, we can throw him in this cistern, and, but we're not going to kill him. And the, the narrator tells us that Reuben intended um, to come back after the brothers left the area and get Joseph out of the pit. But um, as they see Joseph coming, they call him a dreamer, and they, they grab him and they throw him in the pit. Um, there's an interesting turn of events. The Ishmaelites are the tradesmen of, of the region, and they come by, and Reuben has gone away, and so the brothers say, I know, why don't we sell him to the Ishmaelites? And so they do. They sell their brother to the Ishmaelites. They've beaten him up. They've taken his robe that has so enraged them. And the Ishmaelites head off um, to Egypt. And Joseph is gone. Reuben comes back and he says, where, where, where is Joseph? What, what have you done? They concoct a story that they will bring home to their dad. They get an animal, kill the animal, put the blood of the animal on this colorful coat and they bring the coat home and they say to the father Joseph your son is dead he was mauled by wild animals see here's here's the coat that you gave him um, the story of the relationship between Joseph and his father is is one that is highly emotional and we're told several times in the story that they weep loudly and for a long time and the first occasion here is where um, the father just weeps and weeps, and he can't, he can't be contained in his, in his sorrow. Towards the very end of the story, um, when Joseph is reunited with his brothers and also with his father, he weeps. He goes away, and he, he is so embarrassed by how emotional he has become. He goes into a room by himself and just wails um, over the feeling that was going on in, in his circumstances. Now that he, years and years and years and years later, has been reconciled to his brothers. In the meantime, amazing things happen. So Joseph's um, dream history um, comes to be the story of other people's dreams. So he's, he's thrown into jail by Potiphar, um, and there are two people in jail, and they're, they each tell him a story and he interprets the story and the story is properly interpreted and and uh, Joseph went from being the favored son to the son in the cistern to the slave sold to Potiphar to the one who was given the charge of Potiphar's whole household um, to be the one that was thrown in jail to be the one who who then ultimately became prime minister of the land and was the one at the end who was in control of everything Canaanite-like uh, and, and, and the story goes on for chapter after chapter in just a really colorful, lovely way. Let's review these, these types, and then we'll come back to Joseph again. So we saw that the first one is the need to be perfect, then the need to be needed, the need to succeed, and then today the need to be special. And we'll carry on with the others in the weeks to come. Um, the need to be special is the one that we find down here. Yeah. And it is, we might call, the quintessential tragic romantic 
So if you can kind of let your mind wander to literature and so on and, and the great stories that are tragic romantic stories. Here, here are the things that characterizes um, those people who are in the Enneagram type four, like Joseph, because Joseph is this in spades. Number one, um, they feel different from others. And when, when you encounter a type four, and begin to, to talk about how it feels to be them, they may quickly get to the point of saying to you, you know, sometimes I just feel really different from other people, and it's hard to be different. I try not to be so different, but I'm, it, it just kind of feels like I'm weird, that there's something missing in me, and that's the way I kind of feel the difference between me and other people. As well, they are usually people who delight in the arts and in nature. Um, very often their spiritual lives are more in, in um, the, the artistic expression of, of you know, visual arts or dramatic arts of one kind or another. Um, they will talk about having an experience of God in nature and will be just as likely to say that God is real to them as they are walking in the woods and looking at flowers and plants as, as God is when you're listening to someone talk about him in church. So that would be their sort of expression. They are quite sensitive and creative. They are sensitive to the point that they are also um, very sensitive to criticism. So if, if someone near you is uh, the need-to-be-special kind of person, um, that person may have kind of a thin skin because they're already struggling with not being the same as everybody else. They're struggling with feeling different and feeling not able to, to fit in. Um, they love things that you don't seem to love. They get things that you don't seem to get. Um, when poetry moves them to tears and it moves you to boredom, they're totally confused about that. Um, they do not like to be criticized because they're not quite sure what to do to be different than the way they are and so aren't sure what they will do about um, being different. Often they will say, I, I don't want you to treat me as special. I just want you to accept me as I am. Um, I am the way I am. Uh, I love the things I love. I feel the things I feel. I just need you to accept me for that. That, that that's the person I am. Um, one of our children, I'll not name names here, needs to be accepted for um, the things that he does or the way that he does things. And it's, it's just a matter of, that's me. That's the way I do it. When, when this one mowed our lawn in Toronto, he mowed it in patterns. Because it'd be, why would you just do straight lines if you could mow patterns into the lawn? I'm special. They like going deep and dark um, in, in many ways. They, uh, they feel deeply and like to relate deeply um, to, to other people. Um, they tend to just do the opposite to be me. So they're, they're sort of contrary, might be the way that we uh, would experience these kinds of folks. Joseph... Um, was someone that these statements would, would describe quite well. Joseph was someone who 
had a dramatic life. I mean, his, his life was highs and lows. His life was being confused by the relationships he had with his brothers. Um, his life was one of, of great integrity because he felt deeply the things that he believed and uh, he worked hard. We don't get a story of him complaining about what has happened to him at the hands of his brothers. We don't get the sense that you know he, he, he wants a hearing for what has happened to him in Egypt. Um, but he endures trusting God all the way through his life and reaching deep into the artistic expression that he has. So he is, he is someone who feels deeply and, and who experiences the dream world in a way that is actually formative for him. Those that are in this Enneagram type often will say that they're not sure how to describe things. They are, they're only sure of what they feel and that emotions are their currency. So when you have someone who is in, in um, some you know, dip in, in the pattern of his or her life and you say, well, you should get a hold on yourself. Just think about this. And, and, and they may say, I, don't tell me to think about this. Don't tell me. Um, all I know is that I feel what I'm feeling. Uh, I feel depressed. I feel discouraged. I feel judged. Um, and, and, and that's the only way I can put words around what I'm experiencing. Well, as we go into the life of Joseph, um, at the very end of things, and there's some lovely dramatic twists. So um, the brothers come back to Egypt looking for some food for some relief because um, there's been a famine and Joseph has been the savior about the famine in Egypt because um, th there was this vision of the seven fat cows and then the seven skinny cows and Joseph said, here's what's going to happen in the future so we better get ourselves prepared. And so his land was the only land that prospered while all of the neighboring lands and countries were in the famine. So Joseph's brothers were sent to Egypt to request from Joseph some of the, the spoils of, of his successful prediction. Now, the story is, is lovely because they don't recognize who he is. I mean, obviously, he was, he was still just a teenager when they sold him into captivity. They haven't seen him for years. And when they come, he recognizes them. Uh, and, and there's just a lovely story that, again, sort of surfaces the sensitivity that Joseph had within his family, um, he's wanting to know about his father. And so he kind of, um, in a coy way, asks brother, his brothers questions. And they disclose to him that they, they have a father who is still living. And they also disclose to him that they have a brother that, that was killed. That, that would be him. And they also disclose that they do indeed have a young, younger brother and he's at home with the father. So Joseph says, well, I'll tell you what, um, I, I'm not going to help you right now, but if you come back with that other brother that you talked about, um, then, then I'll, I'll make sure you're taken care of. And there's the twist of the story. They go home, and the father says, well, why in the world would I let another of my children go? One of them is already dead, and the one you left 
as surety just now is probably dead, so why would I let Benjamin go? Finally, he's convinced to let Benjamin go, and when they get back, um, Joseph, having tricked them, uh, putting money in their bags, and then putting a cup in Benjamin's bag, um, at the end of it all, Joseph looks at his brothers and says, hey, it's me. And, you know, if, if there was ever room in a, in a movie for a heart attack in the, in, in the moment, that was it, right? Our brother, we thought you were dead. Um, we, we threw you in a pit. We, we gave you to the Ishmaelites, and you're alive? You're the guy that we've been bowing and scraping to to, to, to just be kind towards us, to, to, to help us. In, so. Jacob uh, comes back. Um, Benjamin comes back, and there's a wonderful family gathering um, in which I'm sure they were just regaled with the stories of all of their lives. But the whole story of Joseph is, is summarized in, in terms of its interpretation right here in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Um, For whatever dark sides there were in this personality or are, um, there is the ability to interpret life, to understand life, and what life has meant um, as as a drama, as a story, as as a... a piece of art that that God has been uh, in in behind coaching and shaping and advising, and Joseph says to his brothers, "You know, you meant this for evil, obviously, but God meant it for good." That then becomes a nugget that is part of the wisdom of the Bible that comes back to us over and over and over again. The whole story of the Bible is that Satan intended everything for evil, but God meant it for good. When, when folks talk about the things that happened to them in their lives, they will often say, I think God allowed this so that, or I think God did this so that. And in James, we have to be careful about that because James says, God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt people. By evil, so um, it, it's not very true to say that God has done things because of the outcome that was to be expected. But it is always true to say that when evil is intended, God is able to take the circumstances and twist them for good. The epitome of of that principle of that truth is is the death of Jesus. Satan intended it for evil. Satan's intent was to have Jesus crucified, dead and over. And yet God used that as the most triumphant moment in, in all of his workings and all of his purposes through, through human history. So we, we do well to go back to Joseph and say, well, how am I like Joseph and how am I not like Joseph? How are others like Joseph? How are others not like Joseph? Um, is there a part of my life that is a Josephish part? Um, is there a part of my life that is that artistic part that people don't always understand? Um, are there emotions that I feel very deeply? And am I sometimes too embarrassed to express those emotions because other people don't express emotions that 
freely and deeply. And the life of Joseph is a life that had a purpose in, in God's plan um, that no one would have understood along the way, except it finally dawned on Joseph that they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and that they could celebrate this whole life that passed. In the middle of Joseph's life, you know, if you had had an opportunity to interview him, um, it would have been a sad story. It would have been you know, one of those, and can you believe what happened next? I was an honorable person. Um, Potiphar's wife was a tramp, and she came, and Potiphar came and thought I'd been sleeping with his wife. I never did. I never would, and he threw me in jail. Um, and when I was in jail, um, these people had dreams, and they didn't know what they meant, but I knew what they meant, and I didn't know if I should actually say what they meant or all of that stuff. And then maybe at the end of his life, sort of looking back and saying, yeah, all of Egypt is under my control. Uh, I have, I've saved the day. And it's what God had intended, even through um, the dastardly acts of brothers and rulers and women and all the people that have come across my path. God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. Why don't we pray about that? Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph and all of its twists and turns. Um, thank you for all the insights that we can have uh, about relationships, people with people, siblings with siblings, parents with children. Um, but thank you, Father, that... that a, sort of beyond all of the details of that story. There's this meta-narrative that there is a God who is never um, frustrated by evil. He is always able to turn what was meant to be evil and what seemed only to be evil into something good, something for our growth, something for your glory. So I pray, Father, that you will just let us feel our feelings, um, and let us also look for you in the way that you are um, stepping into the midst of our lives and saying, I, I've got this. If you will trust me, I've got this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.